Hey, before we get started, we've got a friend of the show who wrote a book, and we want to do a quick plug for it. So Big John, Big Johnsonville, Bratwurst, take it away, my friend. In the Country Dark, the book voted Appalachian Book of the Year by the listeners of this very podcast is now available as an audiobook on Audible, Amazon, and Apple Books. The story follows two reunited childhood friends who are caught in a murder-for-hire scheme gone wrong. As they navigate the social tapestry of their small town in West Virginia, the pair faces horrors of their past while trying to carve out a sustainable future. You can learn more at inthecountrydark.com. That's right, and we also want to do a quick plug for a new friend of ours, a bookstore in West Virginia. They're called Wordplay West Virginia, W-O-R-D-P-L-A-Y-W-V.com. Check them out. Get Mike's book. You're going to be a happy camper if you do. On to the show. Thanks so much. Where you may go, there's no soul. Where you may go. John Cena. John Cena is is the villain. This the greatest moment of his life, I'll just go ahead and say it, is when he announced to the crowd that bin Laden was dead. Oh, that was massive. I rem- Do you remember that video? Yes. The, the way he worded it was just so beautiful. We have caught and compromised to a permanent end. He is Osama bin Laden. D- the- uh, wait, 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 wait! Hold on. Let me actually—I didn't—I forgot the best part. He goes, "I come out here every night with hustle, loyalty, and respect on my sleeves." Best part was he was wearing a sleeveless shirt. <laughs> I don't even think he was wearing a shirt. <laughs> uh you might be right. I think he was shirtless. He was shirtless. You're right. He was shirt- either way. He didn't have sleeves. Yeah. Well, he usually carry. He usually has armbands that have it. Like no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, yeah. That's that is probably the biggest one i remember uh that and he, that dude is so smart like he is actually like super smart i don't doubt it i just thought it was fucking i just thought it was hilarious how he worded it caught and compromised to a permanent end like there's no better way of saying killed a guy than that right all right well let's get started then okay we got three three topics for you john for you to choose for your liking first the selena zito article on jd vance selena zito i don't know who she is but she wrote an article about him in the new york post the title was as you'll remember how liberals turned on jd vance working class author of hillbilly elegy that title alone is just is a cannon fodder for discussion bonkers I'm sure. um, choice number two the conspiracy purported by Marsha Blackburn that Anthony Fauci and Mark Zuckerberg are uh, plotting against conservatives Uh and joint jabs jail. The fact that you can get rewarded with weed if you get a vaccine in Washington state, but you can get rewarded with jail for weed. If you live in a place like uh, West Virginia or anywhere that doesn't have it legalized. (laughs) Uh, I think okay. Last week, I I said I was going to take two of the really good topics, save for Patreon. We're not really doing that this week, so I'm going to say I think we got to give we got to give the people what they want, Chuck. And you know, okay. you know, oh. you know that they want this Zito article on JD Vance. 
Uh, you know, we want it too, to be honest. Let's be real here. Um, yeah, you yeah, didn't even well, have to read the it. other two. I was always going to pick that one. No, I mean, well, it's, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be so enticing if not for the title of the article says everything about it and is a complete, you know, retribution or completely against what we've always said. So, okay. This came out June 12th. That would have been yesterday as time of recording because we're recording Sunday. And, uh, John, why don't you just pick apart the headline and <laughs> then we can get into the article here. Uh, and again, I'll remind you and listeners how liberals, big P there, how liberals turned on J.D. Vance. She misspelled it. It's supposed to be John Dammit Vance. Oh. Working class author of Hillbilly Elegy. Take it away, young son. All right. Well, I think it's pretty simple. Everybody at okay, literally everybody at home right now who's listening or driving in the car is like screaming. (laughs) Exactly. They're gonna they're saying the things that I'm about to say. (laughs) Yeah. If if we want to, we can pause for a couple seconds here. Just let you let it out. Yeah. Let it out. out. One one thousand. Maybe I'll put some some Zen music in the background so you can really get it. In you know on your Zoom call even. Yeah, let it all out. There you go. Yeah, mute yourself though. <laughs> don't yeah, don't make important. that mistake. Okay. Maybe also hide your camera too, yeah, so it doesn't yeah. look like you're just screaming at whatever somebody's also, saying. Also, <laughs> I have to point out, like, if, if you're listening to us during a Zoom call, like for work, I just want to say you're a true fan. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Like, you, you're the real one. Uh, all right. So anyway, this headline is pretty easy to, to dissect. First off, we never liked J.D. Vance. So the fact is we could never have turned on J.D. Vance because we hated him since he wrote the damn book. Uh, also, I don't think it's just liberals, which is the funny part. I know a lot of conservatives that don't like J.D. Vance, but I mm-hmm. I get the point of the article is because they they like J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is obviously a very conservative person, and liberals do really dislike him. So, okay, I'll give him that. The next one is my my favorite part. <laughs> Working class. Chuck, J.D. Vance <laughs> is a Yale-educated attorney who runs a hedge fund. Nothing says working class like venture capitalist. Right. Who... Okay, Chuck, I'm going to talk about your favorite thing real quick. I know it's going to get you fired up. This is a guy who (laughs) I don't know any working class person who wants to protect payday loan vendors. (laughs) Yeah, again, uh, uh, payday lenders, you know, are people that charge upwards of 400%, 1,000% interest rate on loans. Nothing says let's protect the little guy like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I think what's important to point out with this article is the author made the argument and based it on very well-known liberals. I would not let me rephrase that. Liberals within the liberal ecosystem of media. So, for example, they cite a glowing 2016 review for New York from the New York Times. Jennifer Senior, I guess. Uh, was a person, I think she's a liberal uh, columnist there. And they also cited Chris Hayes on MSNBC, which is a little surprising coming from him. Apparently he told his audience that Hillbilly Elegy was a fantastic read. It's really eye-opening. And for she also says, for months, the blue check Twitterati could not get enough of him. So basically this person went on Twitter and was like, oh, liberals like this guy because they found a bunch of people who call themselves liberals but are really detached from society and are looking for an explanation of, 
uh, for for Trump in 2016, and they saw this book and decided to attach that because that seems like a convenient thing. That's my take of it. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, an easy excuse. It's the ability for somebody to get almost this feeling of comfort, right? Because at the end of the 2016 election, everybody said how, right? How did Donald Trump win? And J.D. Vance, perfect timing, wrote a book and convinced them that that is how Donald Trump won. He said, you want the people who elected him? Here's Appalachia. And which is hilarious because he can't win just off Appalachia, obviously. Uh, But he made it seem like Appalachia was, you know, the reason that Donald Trump uh, became president. So it was an easy way for, and of course you have, you have very liberal people who are not from Appalachia who want to know how Donald Trump won. And this gives them that it gives them the ability to place blame, which everybody did after that election. Oh yeah. So one thing she says that is true, but we have been talking about this for a long time is that the media failed to notice from the beginning is that Vance is as much a conservative populist as the people he grew up with. Well, we wouldn't say the people he grew up with because we don't have a good perception of who or what they are believe in because all he does is paint his own picture of it. But the uh, professor, Paul, something from Youngstown State said, all you have to do was really read the book. (laughs) There you go. What a novel thought. It is from the beginning. Excuse me. It is between every line. But I think elites thought because he would occasionally criticize Trump's behavior, he was one of them. So I agree with the first part of that book that you did, or first part of that quote that you do have to read every line, but he is an elite. That's yeah. what people are missing from this. He's look, you saw he went to Yale. He ran a hedge fund or a venture capital fund. He is getting a hundred million dollars or hundred million, ten million. Excuse me, T- he's getting ten million dollars from the co-founder of PayPal. That sounds pretty elite to me. Uh, I don't know about you. I mean, it sounds like he went to an elite Ivy League school. He worked at an elite institution. Um, that's pretty elite to me. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who on on a daily basis argues against universal child care. <laughs> like people to have the ability to go out and have child care so they, you know, can go make a living. No hardworking, even middle class person is going to say like, man, I... I I love paying for childcare. <laughs> like, yeah, well, and, and his reasoning, true. his reasoning is super pretentious because that's who he is. His, you know, his reasoning is like, oh, it's gonna, it, it's gonna make my kid suffer because you want to know why he can afford the best in the entire country. <laughs> well, no, I mean, his reason is, well, I, I was able to do this, and so should you. I was able to. Pull myself up all oh, the bootstraps, and for, so would you. For the hillbilly elegy thing, yes. I'm talking about just child care in general. No, but that's what I mean, too. It's like, well, I, is, he's saying, well, I can afford child care because I worked hard enough. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's these other people that aren't. Yeah. And it comes back to this narrative that he is doing a lot, and y'all really need to just kind of read what he puts out there. It's very, very, very – it always gets at – the family structure is eroding. The family structure is eroding. That has been a buzzword for very conservative Republican so politics for a long time. It was a buzzword when people were opposing gay marriage and opposing yep. gay people in general. It was always, well, what about the family? Think about the family, the destruction of the family. And it's used as an excuse for a lot of this conservative bullshit that him and that the MAGA Republican Party are putting out now. And it's worth mentioning, I don't I don't know that I emphasized this at the beginning, but this is a New York Post article. New York Post is a garbage publication, so let's just be clear about that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the broader point is there is this misconception, I think, 
that because liberal elites attach to this book in the post-2016 world, that that means that typical liberals, that people that aren't in these high office towers in New York City or that aren't being bankrolled by a major publication or something, regular everyday liberals thought the same way, and that's that's beyond the truth. This is the mistake that that often gets placed on this. Elite liberals, yes, they, they loved Hillbilly Elegy because it provided them a permission structure to resent uh to resent working class americans and it provided them a resource to explain what they all got wrong about the 2016 election so it's really an excuse mechanism and now it's it's no longer in vogue to do that because coming out on the maga train Mm -hmm. and he's 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 paid for a very premium booker because he's on tucker carlson all the time so now it's not vogue for people who for example, we're praising that before to be doing it again. Yeah. I mean, J.D. Vance is J.D. Vance, and I'm just so sick (laughs) of people who don't understand our issues with this book trying to convince us that we should like the person who wrote it. (laughs) I'm I'm done with it. It's Or trying to convince us that we are like it. Right. That's the other thing. It's like, J.D. Vance and I, I honestly can't name one one thing that we agree on. Like, I've never once heard him say something where I'm like, yep. Unless I think unless he, we talk about when he talks when he talks about Barack Obama and said he was actually a really good man. I mean. I think he said something about you take a certain interstate to get from Middletown to, um, uh, where was it, in Kentucky? Jackson? Jackson, yeah. It was some interstate. I can't remember which one it was, but I think I looked up at the time it was correct. So I would agree oh, on okay, that. Oh, okay, I him. agree. Okay, that's that's fine. Okay, I have never go. I've never agreed, besides the Barack Obama thing, I've never agreed with his any of his opinions. Factual stuff. No, I was I, making a stupid fucking joke. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. I mean, look, whenever this guy announces, Cause he will. we'll have some stuff. Yeah, he will. Um, and, you know. We'll have some stuff loaded to bear for him, but uh, we'll always keep putting our stuff out there because clearly there's more people that need to know how terrible this book is, and they only read the personal narrative part, and they ignored half the book, which was a political manifesto of of hatred and bullshit, so we've got to keep highlighting that, I guess. Anyway, you good on that? I'm good. You good? All right, we're good. All right, let's move on. We got some announcements before we get into the main meat meat of this episode. First of all, new Patreon members. Let's start with that. We got one. John, name it off. We got we got Chris. Chris joined this week. We really appreciate it, Chris. Chris was actually he actually asked me how to support us, right? Which look, I that's the I think that that's like the nicest thing is like people when people are like you know, how can we support you some way, which is just, it still blows my mind. Uh, but I always think it's like almost like super sweet, right? Like, cause you're not used to that. You're not used to that in this, this type of, uh, environment anymore. So it's always nice. True. 
So if you do join for the list $5, you get a weekly exclusive. This week, we're going to be talking about Dollar General and how we think there should be a unionization movement in Dollar General. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that you all will identify with that. Everybody has been to a Dollar General. It's all throughout Appalachia. It's going to be something, a really interesting discussion. It's actually getting a lot of attention right now um, as it relates to workers just quitting their jobs because they've been you know, just forced to, to put up with a bunch of garbage, like crazy hours, short staffs. And so there's getting a lot of attention about that. So we're going to be talking about that. There's a bunch of different stuff on Patreon. We're going to be revamping some of the tiers, I think, pretty soon. We're going to be putting out new exclusives. We're working on Sheep Squatch right now, the Sheep Squatch Cryptid Bonus exclusive. We're also going to be doing one, I think, at some point on old John Brown, who, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, is in the banner behind me. The other thing that we're doing, I think this is really cool, Chuck. If we're doing we're doing a giveaway every single week. All you have to do to enter is go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, but it has to be a typed review because otherwise we can't see who leaves reviews. So if you if you type up a review, give us five stars. Every week, Chuck and I will pick our favorite review. Sometimes we may even have two different ones. Uh, favorite reviews. And the winners, we're going to send them stickers and other cool stuff that we have that, you know, that you just get by leaving a cool review. That's it. It's pretty simple. Yep. It's nice to go and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. It's easy. It's fun. Make it fun. Write me a poem. I don't care. It's going to be awesome. I'll probably pick that one. Uh, Finally, last uh, bit of housekeeping that we have. We have that pride shirt still up. It's going to run till the end of June and we're going to donate a hundred percent of our profits from that shirt. So make sure if you want to buy an iPod latcher shirt, you can go buy that one. Maybe you throw a couple more in the car. I don't know. There's now a contest to see who owns the most iPod latcher merch, which I think is, is great. I think that's a fantastic contest to have, but anyway, we're going to donate a hundred percent of those, uh, of the profits that this podcast gets from that shirt. Uh, and we're looking forward to to helping as many people in the LGBTQ plus community as we can. Hell yeah. We're not just going to put the rainbow flag on our logo like someone like Dominion Energy does in the go and <laughs> overbill rate payers $300 million. Yeah. Come anyway. On. That's insane. <laughs> anyway, moving right along, John, bringing it back this time to introduce our main subject, Data Latcha. It's that, uh, that time oh, where yeah. I saw, <laughs> it's coming back again. Appalachia, where I come up with a random statistic that helps tell the story of Appalachia or just something in general. John tries to guess what it is. We talk about it. Leads into our main subject. John, your statistic today, 22.76%. 22.76%. Okay. All right. All right. 22.76%. Leads us into our main topic. It does. I'm going to I'm going to make a real guess this time. Oh god, let it rip. Let it rip. Uh, yeah. 22.76% is the amount of miners who are unionized. Incorrect, but good guess. I figured it's going to be way a ho- way higher than that. I just didn't know. Uh well, coincidentally, it is probably the percentage correct I got on my evidence final in law school, but more importantly, been there. It is 22.76%. That's how much higher weekly pay is on average for union workers as opposed to non-union workers in this country. Not just Appalachia, but in this country. Appalachia is a little bit bit harder to get that data. I just don't have it. I'm sorry. But that 
tells you how important it is to be a union worker. 22%, man, that's a lot of money. Think about how much you make per week right now. Add about 23% onto that. That's pretty damn good. I'll tell you that. That's a it's a huge difference. And so that's why important that's why unions are important. And that does bring us into our topic this week. John, we're talking about the UMWA strike, the United Mine Workers America strike in Appalachian, Alabama. Now, to give some acknowledgments to this, and then we'll get into some background of it, the national media has barely touched this at all. Uh, but a few people in particular have been beating the drum with it for a while. I wanted to highlight all these people, organizations are on Twitter. Um, they're all putting out stories. They're sharing their stories of the strike. Kim Kelly, who's an independent journalist who's been covering the hell out of this, please give her a follow. I'll link her in the show notes to her Twitter bio. She's been doing a lot on this. Hayden Wright, who is actually, I, I think she might be the wife of one of the coal miners. I'm not sure, but she works with the auxiliary who's running the strike pantry it's helping get miners and their families food during the strike and has been posting a lot of videos and a lot of stuff that just is getting picked up by the media. And then the Valley Labor Report, which is, a, I believe, a radio show down in Alabama that's been focusing on labor. They've also been covering this a lot. I wanted to give credit to them because they've been doing a lot of good work on that. So strikes used to be big news, but the media spent more time last week, for example, covering uh, the cicadas on Joe Biden's plane than this. And I will also say that we acknowledge we have not talked about this either. And I'm a little ashamed of us for not doing it. I'm actually kind of kicking myself for not talking about it anymore. But we're doing it now and it's it's heating up. And so to give you all some background, this is a strike against a company, a coal company, Warrior Met Coal. And it started at the beginning of April, John. So this was, let's see, it is June. It's over two months now. It's a long time. It's a, more than 1,100 workers out of, I believe, a total of 1,400. And uh, it's the first coal mining strike in Alabama in four decades. That's uh, that's incredibly significant. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't even know that whenever we we first thought about doing this topic. Well, we didn't really think about doing this topic. This topic made us <laughs> made us do this topic. Um, but I didn't know that. I I thought it's extremely interesting though because it tells you because a lot of the things that people tend to think about when it comes to these things is like oh, now that we've progressed into the future, working environments are getting better, needs for strikes are going down. But that's not true, as you see with, with teachers and now minors. Like, things are getting perpetually worse. Because if you remember, back in the day, people, we can argue all day long if whether or not their environment was better, but they were being paid significantly more when it comes to inflation rates. So there was actually a reason still maybe to put up with things a little bit more, but that's not the case anymore. These coal miners, they're barely making ends meet. Plus they're having to fight for better and, you know, a better environment, which is pretty tough when you're mining coal. I mean, um, you, you know, you got to make sure that you're being treated correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the context of just the coal industry in general makes it even more difficult because we've talked about before coal as a resource is on the decline. Lots of companies went into bankruptcy, including partially this company, which I'll get into in a second and so it makes it a lot more difficult in the industry, and it creates a lot more tensions between companies and employees, between miners and the corporate executives, because the writing is kind of on the wall for coal in the long-term future as it begins to fade out as a viable resource and a clean resource. But to give you all some background, because I think this is really important, Warrior Met Coal, that's the company, it was actually formed in 2016 because of a bankruptcy shocker of a coal company called Walter Energy. So there's a ton of 
there's massive layoffs that happened because of this. So after the company was bought by Warrior Met, the executives promised to rehire most of the employees back on the condition they accept what's called a subpar contract. And I, I, as Kim Kelly puts it in one of her articles, which I believe is, is very apropos, is subpar is a very generous way of, of, of characterizing it. Miners, these miners took cuts in their pay. They took cuts, major cuts in insurance and a ton of other things in order to help the company get out of bankruptcy. So they're helping this company recover because they came on hard financial times. To put that in perspective, they took, I believe, $6 an hour pay cut. So wow. We'll fast math here. Maybe I can try it in my head. Let's say you work a 40-hour week, which they work more than that almost always. Uh, I think that's $240 a week. Am I right? Is that the right math? Yes. It's about $1,000 a month. That's a lot of money. That's and so I think so they were making uh, $28 an hour or something like that. They went down to 22 That's a huge, huge dent into your wow. income. They had, to, they had longer work weeks in addition to that, lost their overtime compensation. So they're working overtime, not getting paid for it. And, John, big shocker here, upper management received bonuses. <laughs> you betcha. Uh, and something else that's interesting, I'll, I'll link to the video of this. They were interviewing miners. When this new company bought it and took over, the conditions just in general were terrible. Um, they would get penalized for doing things like going to the doctor because they were taking time off of work. It was just a much more hostile environment. They had like a three-strike policy or something like that. They had to work every holiday except for, I think, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and uh, – uh, Easter, maybe, uh, hmm. whereas they got a lot of other holidays off beforehand. Anyway, important thing you need to know, CEO made $4 million in 2019. Company had net revenues of $302 million in income in 2019, yet they couldn't find a way to scrape out any money for these miners. Um, now, granted, they'd reported a little bit of a loss in 2020, but we're still doing good comparatively. Last thing you need to know, after a week of negotiations, because they went on strike on April 1st, UMWA and the company came to a tentative agreement. It was a shitty one. It was a $1.50 raise for the next five years, $1.50 an hour raise. Uh, but the membership voted overwhelmingly to reject it. So that is where we are right now. There's more details we'll get into later, but I kind of want your initial thoughts on this. Because um, I've got some thoughts, obviously, of strikes in general, but just based on all this information, sadly, it's not that surprising what the company's doing. No, I mean, this isn't—I know it's, it, it is different, but when you talk about the CEO getting, you know, they get—he made $4 million in 2019, but then you also talk about how, you know, they're always getting bonuses, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you saw, but in the news recently— Well, that included uh, bonuses, by the way, just to clarify. Oh, okay. Well, then you get didn't get enough. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. w- when it comes to uh, these types of things, I don't know if you heard recently. Chipotle they raised their minimum wage to fifteen dollars, and then mm-hmm. r- they raised everything by like twenty seven cents. I think it was is what it was uh, mm-hmm. on the menu. Which one okay. is not not substantial, right? But two, yeah. they blame the workers getting a fifteen dollar or fifteen dollars an hour because of that raise. But in actuality, they doubled the pay of the CEO. Well, he was working really hard, John. You know, he was working really hard to crunch those numbers yeah, and figure out yeah. how much more do we got to charge people to give these goddamn employees their $15 a fucking hour. So, yeah, I mean, 
that seems justified to me. No, oh, fuck yeah. that shit. How much more could they have paid them if they didn't give the you know double that, the salary of? A oh, and CEO? we're talking. I mean, it was like an eight million dollar raise. I mean, it wasn't like he doesn't make any. I mean, I think it went from eight to sixteen is what it was. I mean, it was insane. Jesus. Well, he worked really hard. But anyway, sure. back to, back to my. I just want to point that out because it just reminded me of that. Uh, back to the miners. So this is not something that is unique right which is sad because you would hope that this is unique but it's not unfortunately this is one of those things too i always um i'm always shocked at the bravery of these people like that is what always shocks me like for people to go like uh on strike because it's scary like you don't know when you're going to be able to feed your like you know you're not going to get money to feed your family you're going to have to tap into savings Uh, but you're doing it because you, you know, don't get paid, right? Like it, there's no income coming in, right? And you may be the only income. So there's two, two options. One, you continue to work at the, you know, at this terrible environment that you're trying to fight against or for terrible wages that you're trying to get raised or two, you're scab. Like that's it. Those are the two options. It sucks. It does. It's, it's something that it's not easy to. Nobody wants to no. go on strike. It's not no. a fun time. You're deliberately foregoing money, and and this so this has been over two months for these miners. So they haven't gotten a paycheck in two months now. UMWA has an active strike fund, so members can draw biweekly checks of about six hundred fifty bucks if they stay on the picket line for sixteen hours a week at a minimum. But to give you some perspective, this pales in a comparison to. Roughly the $1,760 they would get every two weeks. So, I mean, it is not financially beneficial. You're probably right. A lot of these families, it it very well could be their only source of income. I know when my dad was on strike, it was our only source of income was his his paycheck. So my mom had to get a part-time job at Coldwater Creek, and it sucks. horrible. And you don't want to do that to your family. It it feels terrible. And it's – but – it's also the principle of you the for this to work for strikes to work it has to be collective it can't and if if one one cog falls out the whole thing can come down and you saw how effective this was to some extent how it was effective let me say you saw how important it was in what's it um was it 20 2018 when the teachers had their strike in west virginia yes, with it was. all 55 counties Yes. Every single county authorized that because it was important that all 55 be represented and all 55 uh, be there because it needed to be united. And that's what's so important about strikes, but it also just it's it's a also collective suffering. It's terrible. And it's it's because a lot of times these companies are greedy. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. I mean that, that is what it is. I mean it, it it's greed, man. Like it's the ability for somebody to essentially watch others work and get paid to do it like it's that's it like that's what Mm -hmm. this is and not only to get paid for it but to get paid extremely well for it to where you could retire and never have to work again but these guys are fucking working 50 years of their lives to ensure that they can continue to make enough money to live absolutely um, and so to give you a little bit of, uh, I guess some background on the environment that this is all kind of around, I think this is important to mention because like I said, 
when you go, when a worker goes on strike, your whole family goes on strike. Uh, but there are some people in the community that I do want to shout out that are really doing a lot of important work. Uh, I mentioned, I think it was, I mentioned Hayden Wright from earlier who was helping run the UMWA auxiliary in uh, in Alabama where they are. And they're basically running a strike pantry. So they're taking donations of food uh, to give out to the families of the miners in order to, you know, help feed them, help defray the cost because they're not getting paid. It's very community driven. And in fact, I'll put a link uh, to the strike fund. So if you want to contribute to it, um, that they're running down there, I know that they, they, they've been doing a lot of really good work, especially a Valley labor report with generating money for that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of support, but it takes, you know, it takes a village, you know, because these companies are, even though it's a company that came out of bankruptcy, they're still strong companies and they still have a lot of power over the workers. So it really is, it's a community effort in order to even have a foothold against companies like this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is, Oh man, I hate this. Like you mentioned the word scabs, which is a gross word because it's a gross thing. Uh and for people that aren't familiar with that union jargon terminology, it's people that come in to work the jobs of the union workers when the union workers are on strike. So when you'll see a lot of these miners, they're outside of the the mines that they work in, picketing, and you see a bunch of trucks drive in, and you see the miners yelling at them. Those are the people that are basically stealing their job, that are working those non-union wages because it helps the company keep afloat. Because if the company doesn't pay stat, uh, excuse me, if the company doesn't pay scams, then they're going to go out of business, and they have to actually compromise with the with the the union. But they pay scabs so that they can keep continuing paying low wages because they know somebody will come in and work it, and that's what prolongs strikes, quite frankly. And I I'll share a quick story because this sucks, and scabs is a kind name for them. I remember being on the picket line with my dad in two thousand and six, I think two thousand six. And that's the first time I learned what a scab was because we we were right outside of the plant and there'd be people driving in and all the union guys would be hollering at them, yelling at them, cussing at them and stuff. And I was like, Dad, like, why are they doing that? And he's like, because these people are coming to take our jobs. And it was it was hard to watch because it was like there was a look of anger, like this just this boiling blood anger for my dad, but also just this sort of demoralizing thing of these people are coming to take the job that I get paid for to support my family. And I am pissed at them and it's fucked up and this is bullshit. And that I, I can't, I will never forget that because it was, it just made me so mad at these people. And you know, the, they'll take pictures of them and put them up on walls to show people. These are the people that are coming and stealing our jobs. These are the anti-union Union busters, really, that are coming and stealing our job and stealing our work. And I wanted to point that out because it is really important to remember that, that it is not just the company that does things that are bad and gets away with it. It takes people, I, you know, wherever they come from doesn't matter. It takes people to come in and actually take those jobs and work for the company and do their bidding in order to make it successful for the company to continue not negotiating with the union. Yeah, I mean that that's a fair point too. It's like I always feel a little bad because I understand that people need jobs and it is hard to essentially be like, well, you know, uh I have to walk away and strike and I get that. I think the idea though is just like if they're going on strike, maybe <laughs> maybe you don't 
come and try and take the job. That I think that's what makes you a scab more than even just staying on, like while while somebody else is striking. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because there are people that stay on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some people have to. They may not have a savings. You know what I mean? And a lot of the times too, it's like there are people who are like are not against what what's going on, like not against you know what they're doing, but they just don't have the ability to to do it. Because they don't have the savings well, or whatever. I I mean, I would argue that probably most people on that picket line probably don't have the ability to do that either. Well, yeah, and that's so, fair too. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't have any too. love lost for that because that's crossing a picket line. To me, that's just an unconscionable thing to do. Yeah, I guess I was just trying to play devil's advocate. That's fair. I mean, it's it's we we're straight shooters on this show. We uh present present all sides. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things too. Like you're right. It. it <laughs> It's hard. It's, it's not. Yeah, it, it's hard, but you shouldn't, you know, they're, these are obviously still your, you know, these are the people that are fighting. To, they're really fighting for you because, I mean, if they get something, you're going to get something. So, yeah, it it on ultimately harms everybody. But that, it, yeah. you know, the it is a hard, well, like we said, it's a hard decision because nobody wants to go on strike. Nobody wants to say, fuck my paycheck for however long. Right, and that's thank God right. the UMWA does have a strike fund that they can at least give them something, but it's hard. That's true. It's hard. Yeah, and that's good. That that part I think is what makes these things possible. Yeah. Is the strike fund? It's not obviously it's not enough to to sustain people, but it is something. Yeah, and that's why like the strike pantry too is really important with getting food to people. Uh, but yeah, and I, I think. If I recall, the steelworkers, my dad was on strike, had a strike fund, and they would do things like they, would, they wouldn't they would get as many grocery donations, but they'd buy up a bunch of, like, Kroger gift cards and give them out to families of steelworkers who were on strike so that we could, you know, it wasn't like giving you straight cash, but you could, like, buy groceries, you know, keep the lights on and everything. But it sucks. It's shitty. And this is the struggle that is as – this is the kind of struggle that, that has been woven throughout Appalachia's history, as we know. You know, from the Battle of Blair Mountain to Harlan County coal mine wars to everything in between. And it's because, like, workers get treated terribly by the corporate power. And it takes everyone, it takes everybody to push back against that and get something. And so, and a lot of times it's not fair. And, you know, the reality is, sadly, is that the miners, these miners may have to accept something below what they were paid before. You know, they, they may have to do that which is terrible, but it just shows you like how important it is that they even have a union because if they didn't, they would they would probably be paid even less. They would be forced to either go to work or they would be fired and everything, and then the corporate executives would be paid anymore. Um, something you mentioned before, but I think is important is, is when it comes to the history of Appalachian labor, as you well know, there's a lot of violence associated with it. And you'd mentioned this earlier. Um, there's been footage, and and I can link to that as well. I just I'm gonna shitload of links this time. So many links. So many links <laughs> of trucks driving into UMWA leaders, mine worker leaders. Insane. I, I, uh, look, <laughs> this is and and here's the thing: we live in a different age now, Chuck. Like. Uh, we know about the violence in the past, right? But we don't have video evidence of a lot of it, 
right? Like we we may have some photos here and there, but we don't really have much. Yeah, there weren't any miners in the 1910s pulling out their smartphone and, and right, like nobody pulled out their iPhone. Uh, but but that's not the case anymore. And so I mean, it's it's a lot easier to document these things. And I I will say the media did a terrible job covering this. Yeah. Absolutely, it was pitiful. The people that you named did a great job, but the the actual national media pity pitiful. They should be ashamed still because. And they still not. Yeah. And even when that video came out of the guy driving through, mm-hmm. still no coverage. Yeah. You got some like local attention, which I think the locals like, like right. AO.com, yeah, like, they're yeah. finally getting onto it. But yeah. So there's one video of a, of a truck driving, literally driving into a worker, almost literally. knocking him down. There's another one. It's actually drone footage because the union, I think, got a drone so they could record some of this and they could look at the activity going on. There's another one, a black truck clearly driving through, knocking people over. Um, one guy had like a torn meniscus because one of the trucks drove and hit something that caused it to ricochet against his leg and like tore a muscle in his leg. I believe hmm. it's, your meniscus is your leg, right? Yeah. Sure. Um, to tore that. And it's a wonder that there hasn't been any more injuries. I wonder people weren't sent to the hospital or killed, but this yeah, is what they God. do. It's all intimidation. It's intimidation. It's, it, it's That's a fuck it you. It's a fuck you intimidation. It's fuck you for wanting to fight for yourself and you mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing this and make no mistake. The company knows about all this. I absolutely agree with that, but they know that yeah, they is, love it. They love it. Mm-hmm. They know that like they get this thing hot and people will start caving, or at least they think. These miners, yeah. though, man, they are resilient as fuck. Yeah, they. My God, I've always said it. Like, even though a lot of the times, like we may disagree with the actual, you know, option to mine when there are so many other options. There's no doubt that those dudes are like the hardest workers, and they're relentless like i would never want to get into a bar fight with them because they would not stop punching you in the face <laughs> I would, you know and i would never want to get in a mine i'll be honest i'd never no, I, w- I wouldn't so either fucking no. hard work i can i can never i'm i couldn't do it and that's why i look at these guys i'm like why are they not some of the most paid people in the country yeah. <laughs> like and and that's the things before this, before like the bankruptcy and everything, they were I I believe the average pay was something like seventy or eighty thousand a year. I could be wrong on that, so don't quote me. But, I think it I should mean, be even higher. I absolutely agree. But I mean it's good money for rural oh, Alabama. It's great money. It's great money but you still. think like a, a huge percentage of your pay cut gone for that, I mean and, and these people are putting it on their bodies too. I mean that's the thing, is like Oh yeah, black lung even. Black I mean, lung and just like the the, the muscular Anyway, we won't get on all that, but just like, you know, that's hard grinding work. And um, and and being a miner right now is tough just because the reality is, is that it it gets harder as the industry gets more contracted and it's harder to make money off coal. And it's it's going to it's a tough miners have never had it easy, but it's I don't think it's ever been harder to be a coal miner than it is right now. And while you and I are obviously very supportive of clean energy, we also want a real legitimate transition away from coal that that honors coal miners work and puts them on a path where they can be financially successful and and you know that we won't get into that i know we talked about it before but anyway the last thing i'll add to this is the local police have showed very little interest in fact they've actually tried to arrest victims uh and, and miners that were were uh um marching so you know 
We uh, it, it's always interesting when you talk about police, but man, fuck them for this. This is bullshit. Yeah, like, this man, and that's the problem too. Is like we don't have company towns anymore, but we still have company towns. Like if you get what I'm saying, right? Oh, no like, shit, that's true. Um, it, and so it, it, that's the shitty part. Like for instance, if you you know our hometown, Chuck, like Parkersburg, right? People who used to t- talk out about Dupont, for instance. They were shunned. Mm-hmm. And so I can only imagine what these, you know, in this small town where, you know, it's not a huge population. People see these as like really good paying jobs already. So why are you fighting it? You know, it's a lot like what teachers went through. And it's one of those things like it's that's what makes it even harder to do this. It's like you're getting you're getting shit on from the left and the right. Yeah, it's true. It is true. Well, we're going to keep an eye on this we're gonna keep track of it like i said i'll put a bunch of those links down if you want to support the miners and if you want to learn more about it and just see kind of the abuse that they've had to take it's it's bad it is bad um but we're gonna keep on this subject we wanted to talk about it because it's super important and it's not getting enough coverage so make sure you share this episode with your friends um and talk to it about people and make share it on social media let's get it some attention and it doesn't have to be this this episode some of the links too you know we're not gonna be totally self-promoting but um but yeah i think it's important and it's something that these people really deserve they deserve a lot of support they deserve and they Mm -hmm. deserve the respect uh, of an employer that is as relied on them to make riches and then shun them so it's terrible 100 percent all right. Uh, okay, but moving on to our final segment, as always, uh, the beef portion of this, uh, the Dietrich Bonhoeffer of beef, they call him because he's been sticking beef in the mouth of fascists since the day he was born, ladies and gentlemen, beef with Big John. If anybody gets that reference, hopefully they will appreciate it. I don't Ladies and gentlemen and gender non-binary folks worldwide, we are pleased to present to you the beef-eating mouth of the South coming to you live from a foreclosed ponderosa a back-to-back buffet world champion beef with the Big If you get that reference, please comment on one of our posts telling Chuck that you get the reference. It will make him sleep better at night. I promise. I mean, you. it's a it's a compliment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the people leading a, the uh, what is the Black Hand movement against Adolf Hitler or something. I don't know if it was Black Hand. That's probably not right, but something like that. Anyway, that's pretty cool. Anyway, great compliment. It's a cool guy. Uh, Look before, him up. Before German Lutheran before pastor. Going, there you go. <laughs> before going into beef, real quick, I do want to remind everyone: if you're a Patreon member, real quick, I think this is important. That's why I'm doing it at the top of my beef. We're doing a Q and A this Thursday. Patreon exclusive. Mm. Only our Patreons, our Patreon members can be there. It's going to be really cool. We did like a little like mini one back before and people loved it. We think this one's going to be even better. If you want to check it out, patreon.com slash appodlatchet. It's $5 or whatever you want to pledge per month. And you can be a part of it too. We're going to host more live events than we ever have before. That's going to be our goal going forward. Uh, and we think it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, on to the 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 prime prime rib of this beef okay all right chuck i'm gonna make this a podcast specific beast beast it's gonna be beastly but beef okay Mm. i am sick and tired of people thinking that you and i 
are trying to talk for all of Appalachia. As if that's oh, even boy. possible. I'm this is so a, time, a timeless beef. I, I am so I, and it's gotten but it's gotten worse, right? As we've as we've grown, it continues to kind of get worse, you know. And I figure why not why not nip in a bud right here, right? Here's the thing. Chuck and I, we don't speak for all of Appalachia. We know that. Our views are not the same as everybody's, but that's the point. The point is that we want people to know that Appalachia isn't this like one dimensional place. It's a unique place with different thoughts and feelings and morals and ideas. This that's exactly what why we created this podcast. And it's not the fact that like we're on the liberal side that matters. The thing that matters here is that we want people from Appalachia to be notarized, uh, you know, have to have notary. We want people from Appalachia to have a place, yeah, I know. To, we want to we want to notarize them. So I know. Notary public here. I I need a notary. <laughs> Actually, I do. Well, need a what notary. he's really, really trying to say is, we really need a notary public. So. Yeah, I do. Uh, we also need somebody to do- design some stuff, but more on that later. Anyway, we want Appalachians to feel like this is at least a place that they can come and say, "Man, there's a lot of cool shit going on, and these two guys are covering it." Our goal is not to speak for all of Appalachia. It's it's to be a voice in Appalachia because there's a lot of voices, believe it or not. Shocker. And it's not to be the end all be all right. It, but it is an outlet for people to go, you know what? I was wrong about Appalachia. And that every time we hear that Chuck, that's it. Boom. That's why we created the podcast right there. Cause we get that a lot. Like people are like, wait a second. I thought this about Appalachia. Now you guys are saying this. I was wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's them. That live, live video right there. Reenactment, put reenactment down on the video when you do that, because that's exactly what it looks like. And that's why we created this damn podcast, not to be the voice of Appalachia. Although many people would argue that our voices have become stronger in Appalachia, which is exactly what we wanted, obviously. But we're not the voice of Appalachia. Yeah, I mean, I've been taking voice lessons just to. We've get, been taking voice lessons since we started all the time. Yeah, I think it's actually it's a pretty ironic thing because one of the things that we have preached a lot on this show is to avoid generalizations about Appalachia, about the region, and not to be a not to rely on monolithic voices or preconceived notions. And to, you know, what we do is we provide a voice that we felt was not being provided or was not heard from because we have opinions that I I think a lot of people agree with. So we're not necessarily speaking for them. So I don't know. I just thought it was kind of funny. Anyway, fuck those people. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, people people get mad right because we we do express opinions that are you know on the on the left side like we fully understand that and we get that right and that may not be always the the norm in Appalachia that's cool but the thing is it provides a different voice for people to listen to and to agree with and to even debate right it's not supposed to be the end all be all that's my point here stop this whole and these people aren't even listening so i don't even know why i'm beefing but I just got to talk about these people because I'm so sick of it. Anyway, well, that's, I mean, look, this is going to be one of those beefs where it's, you know, it's timeless. It's like a, um, it's like a fine porterhouse uh, aged well, and we'll be good. Cooked when you perfectly. Take it home and cook perfectly. It'll be good. You take it home and put it in your <laughs> fridge for a little bit, or, or maybe you don't cook it. Maybe you freeze it. I don't know. Oh, freeze that, that shit. That Save it for later, but I don't, I do not, 
I would not recommend that, Chuck. I would not recommend that. I wouldn't recommend it either. I'm not a chef, though, and I don't even watch the Food Network, but here we go. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Check out all of our links. Check out our website. It's got a lot of cool stuff on there, um, including us and all of our episodes. You can find us on there. You can find a transcript of this episode on there, too. Check it out. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again next week.